Right, if you could turn your, in, in your Bibles to um, John chapter 14, we're going to read from verses 1 to 7. And if anyone's got the, church, the page number for the church Bible, that would be really helpful for me right now. Sorry? I still can't. 1082. There you go, 1082. And if you need a Bible, if you raise your hands, one um, will be brought to you. There's some people walking around with some Bibles. Great for you to have them. So it's John chapter 14. We're going to read verses 1 to 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him as you've seen him. We're living in a very pluralistic world with, with all kinds of different people from all over the world, all gathering in, in, into, into the same places. So, for example, here in, in, in the UK, we've seen um, other religions grow very rapidly over the years. and We've seen Christianity um, become less and less popular, let's say. And so an important question that we ask in society is how do people from such different backgrounds, how how can they live in harmony and peace together in the same city? How can Muslims live next door to Christians, live next door to atheists? How can we live as a society in that situation? How do we get on? And this is a vital question. And I think that is probably what is behind the objection to Christianity that says, how can Christianity be true in light of there being so many other religions? It's a very genuine question. It's a real question. It sounds like a very arrogant thing to say in a pluralistic world. A lot of people might put it this way, you know, basically, um, aren't religions all pretty much the same anyway? So, so surely you should talk about the things that, that unite you rather than the things that, that make you different. Um, so Christianity and Islam and all these other religions, they talk about good ways to live your life, about loving your friends. And even they have similar ideas like the golden rule. That's not just found in Christianity. Other religions seem to have that kind of rule as well. So so why don't we just focus on these things instead? And on the the face of it, that sounds really open-minded and sounds really generous. It sounds really nice. But actually, to people who who, who are living according to those faiths, that is actually quite an offensive thing to say. I mean, what you're basically saying is if, all, all religions are, are the same, is basically you're saying, I know your religion better than you do. I know about truth better than you. So you need to come and, and understand your religion in light of my view of the world. It's not actually, it sounds open-minded, but actually, to, to adherence of different religions, it's really not. So that leaves us in a bit of a question. How can you claim that Christianity is the truth? Um, so while all religions may have similarities, and I, I will grant you that, all the major religions do, 
Christianity, I argue, and the Bible would argue, is fundamentally different. They have similarities, but they have fundamental differences. And if we're really going to answer the question as to why Christianity is different from all the other religions, why Jesus can say he is the only way to God, we need to focus not on the things that make, make Christianity similar to other religions, but what does Christianity claim that no other religion does? What is unique to Christianity that no other religion has? And that's what we're going to be doing today, because we want to take this question seriously. And that's why we're looking at John chapter 14. And it's a really challenging verse, John chapter 14, verse 6, isn't it? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But it's important that we understand what's going on here. They're sitting around a dinner table, um, and they've had the Passover meal, and they've had some really difficult conversations as they ate. Jesus has, has told them that one of them, one of the 12 who they're eating with, is going to betray them. He's going to betray Jesus. He's told them that he's going to leave them. And that he's told them that, that Peter is actually even going to deny him three times. And he's even told them that they are going to scatter. That a time is coming that's very tough. And Jesus knows ahead of this time, with the things that are about to take place, that um, the disciples are going to face some very difficult times. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to face all kinds of pain and suffering and even death for their faith in Jesus. And so Jesus comes to 14, verse 1, after their hearts are obviously troubled by the things they've been talking about. And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's really important that we see that. That although this verse 6 seems very controversial, and I'll grant you it is, to the first hearers of it, it was meant to be a great comfort. So before it was ever a controversy, it was a comfort. And it's really important that we see that. So it's into that, into that, um, the need for comfort that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So now we're going to spend a few moments really thinking about that verse and looking, jumping around John a little bit, the whole gospel, to kind of understand what it means. So we're going, to, we're going to study that, which is probably the most comforting and controversial words ever spoken. So let's have a look at it. Let's think through this. Jesus says, I am the way. Now, if I came to you and I said, do you know the way? You would obviously probably look a bit confused. And you would say to me, Ben, where are you wanting to get to? Wouldn't you? You know, if, if I don't know where I want to get to, how on earth could you know the way? Does that make sense? You need to have a destination in mind before you can show the way. Does that make sense? Yeah? So Jesus starts this passage by giving us a, a definition or a picture of where they're going to. What is the aim of their, of their walk? What is the aim of their faith? And it starts in verse 2 and it says this. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be, may be where I am. He's talking about home. He's saying that home is with God forever. It's often described as heaven, but here it's described as a house with many rooms. Now, obviously, that's a metaphor. He's not really saying that heaven is a hotel room with millions of, of rooms, a hotel with millions of rooms. He's talking about home. He's describing home. And home is a need, a basic need that we all have. But it's not just a house. I mean, you can have a house. You can have a place to hang your hat and not really have that be home. 
I mean, as Jesus puts it here, home is a place for you, a place for us. Home, home isn't always where you live. I mean, think about it. The past few weeks you've had Christmas. Many of you have jumped in cars and you've dr- driven all across the country. Maybe some of you have even flown to other countries to go home. Even this morning I was asking people, where, where, where did you spend Christmas? And they said, I went home. They went to the place where people know them the best. They went to the place where all their memories are, where their families were. They went to the place where they belonged. And over Christmas, I heard the songs over and over again. And one of the songs that I really love is, I'm driving home for Christmas. Do you know that song? I'm driving home for Christmas. I can't wait to see those faces. I'm driving home for Christmas, yeah, while I'm moving down that line. It's been so long, but I will be there. And that long, that desire to be home, it's instinct in all of us. And that's probably why, you, if you're regular here, you gravitated to where you're sitting right now. Because you're sitting where you feel most comfortable. Very likely, you're sitting very near where you always sit. Why is that? Because we're creatures of habit. We're creatures of home. Creatures of, of wanting to belong in a place. Now, Jesus is saying, those who trust him will be taken to their forever home the place that they were made to belong, the place where they are known, where they are loved more deeply than they can ever imagine. And God is going, Jesus is going to take them there. He is the way to that place. So this is the true, defi- the true home for all believers. So the question then comes, how can he be the way? I mean, that doesn't even make sense, does it? I am the way. Now let's go back to the illustration of directions for a moment. and Let's flip it around a little bit. Imagine you're lost in the woods, a really dark wood that's, that's miles from nowhere. You're out there. You've got nowhere to go. You don't know, where you, you don't know how you got there. You don't, know the, you don't even know which direction to face to start walking. And then along I come and you say, could you show me the way to go home? And I say to you, I am the way. You're going to go, What? That makes no sense. How can you be the way? But then, change the picture slightly. Imagine you're in that same place, and along I come, riding on my horse, which I would do, and, uh, and, and then they say, show me the way to go home. I'm tired, I want to go to bed. You know? And then I jump off my horse, I lift you up, I place you on the horse, I put a robe around your shoulders to keep you warm, and I give you food to eat and to drink, And I lead the horse to your home. And I say, don't worry, I'm the way. So doesn't that make more sense? If I carry you there, I can be the way. And that's really what Jesus is saying. He said, I am the one who will carry you home. I am the one who will take you there. You see, Jesus, as he is here, he says to them in verse 3, I will come back and take you to the place that you may be where I was. I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. He said, I'm going to carry you there. I'm going to take you to this place. Jesus says he's going ahead to prepare a place. And then when I come back, I'll carry you home. You see, Jesus is eating this meal with his disciples the night before he's betrayed. And he knows ahead of him is a cross. He knows that he's going to be Falsely accused, he's going to be handed over to the leaders of, of, of the religious leaders and to the Romans, and ultimately he's going to be crucified and he's going to die. He knows that's where he's headed. And he says, I'm going ahead to prepare a place for you. You see, the cross is the way that Jesus goes. Jesus goes to the cross. 
And he goes there to prepare a place for us. Now, we have to understand something here. When Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's not talking about going to a heavenly kingdom and fluffing your heavenly pillows. He's not talking about going to your, the room that's going to be yours in heaven and painting it some heavenly shade of blue. He's not talking about getting heaven ready as if there's anything wrong with the place where God is. No, what he's saying is, I am going to make sure you can get there. I am going to pay the debt that you owe and to secure your place in that home. And ultimately what he does is he goes to the cross and he dies on the cross and he pays for yours and my debt to God so that we can go to God. You see, all of us have a burden that we're carrying. It's called sin. We don't live as if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We live as if we are the way and the truth and the life. And the Bible says, because of that rebellion, we are cut off from God forever. We are lost with nowhere to go, no way to find ourselves to get our ways out. And the wages of that is death forever in hell. There's no way we can save ourselves. And then Jesus sees our burden, the burden we're carrying, and he goes to the cross and pays death himself. Jesus goes ahead to the cross so that he can carry you and I home if we trust in him. He's going to pay our debt. He's going to die for you and me. You see, only in Christianity do you find a savior who will carry your debt for you. Basically, every other religion works on the principle that there is a great burden to carry, but that is your burden. This is how you should live. This is how you will please God. And if you do these things, then maybe God will let you into heaven. But Christianity doesn't work on that principle. Christianity works on the principle that Jesus carries your burden to the cross himself, and he will carry you all the way home. Only Christianity has a claim like that. Only Jesus says, I am the way. He will carry you home. But also, he says, I am the truth. I am the truth. Well, the first question that comes to mind to, 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 the, to, the, um, to the philosophers amongst us is, what is truth? What do you, what do you mean when you say truth? Sure, there's all different kinds of truth that it could be. And what is truth? Well, probably a better question to ask here is, what does Jesus mean when he says he is the truth? What does he mean by truth himself? Well, I guess for many people in a a pluralistic society, they might say, well, well, whatever is true for you is true for you, and whatever is true for me is true for me. And, you know, truth is relative, isn't it, this this kind of truth? Now, that actually doesn't make sense, but I'm going to bear with that for a little while because I don't think people actually quite mean what they're saying. What they're meaning, I think, is, look, we can't have absolute knowledge about God, surely. So, so belief in God is like believing in your favorite type of ice cream. So you might like Chalky Chip Road with marshmallows or whatever it is. That might be your favorite ice cream. But, but um, my favorite ice cream is vanilla. You know, it, it's subjective. It, it doesn't really matter. There's, ultimate tr- there's not ultimate truth. There's truth that you can select or pick and choose. But actually, Jesus is not saying that kind of truth here. He's not talking about subjective truth. What does he say? He says, I am the way. I am the way. 
I, sorry, I am the truth. I am the life. I am the truth. Not a truth, not a subjective truth, not one you can choose or not choose, and then it's still true or not true depending on how you feel. He's saying he is the truth. He is saying he is true in the same way that gravity is true. So, for example, right now, you believe in gravity, but even if you don't believe in gravity, you're not going to start flying up to the ceiling. It doesn't make any difference to reality whether you believe in gravity or not. Its power is still upon you right now, holding you down to that chair. And Jesus is saying, I am true whether you believe it or not. I'm true. I'm just as true if you deny me as if you accept me. I am the truth. Jesus is actually truer than gravity because the Bible tells us he is the one who created the law of gravity himself. He is the one that's holding the law of gravity in his hands. Jesus is truth. But then the question is, well, what truth is he claiming to be? What is truth? What truth? Well, he tells us in verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus says, anyone who knows him knows the Father. Jesus is saying, he is the truth of God. He is the way to know God. When you look at Jesus, you see God. He's saying, he is the ultimate truth, the, of, the ultimate reality of who God is. Jesus is God with us, as we've said so many times over the Christmas period. I mean, listen to these words from the beginning of the book of John, right at the beginning of the book of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, let's stop there for a second. The Greek word is logos, and logos was the term that Greek philosophers used to discuss night after night, week after week, as they were thinking about the meaning of life, the ultimate questions of everything. They were in search of the logos, the ultimate truth. So John is saying right at the beginning that the, that the ultimate truth was there in the beginning, the Word. And then it carries on, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Notice that the Word is a person. Did you see that, the way, the way John writes? Without him, nothing was made that was made. So the question is, who is the Word? And John doesn't hold that secret. He tells us in, in verse 14 of that same chapter, the Word became flesh. And made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. And that is how John's gospel starts. Jesus is God come in the flesh. Jesus is God with us. When you look at Jesus, you see God. God come close. God with skin on. Jesus reveals the truth about God in his person. In every other religion, basically you're given some truths about God, some things about God, some statements about God to analyze and to think about. But in Christianity, you get a person. And this is key. Christi the truth of Christianity is not found in an argument. It's found in a person. So today, it's not about me trying to persuade you through clever arguments that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's about introducing you to the reality of who that person is. Now, in, in some ways, you look out in creation and you see 
the wonderful things that, 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 that God has made in the world, you can get a bit of a reflection about, about the, the character and nature of God. So, for example, if you're standing on the top of Mount Himalayas and you're looking out, and you, you'll, you'll get that sense of awe and wonder at the one who must have created all this beauty. And if you look up in the stars and you, and you see all the, all the myriad of stars that are just up there, you, you might get lost in wonder and you'll know that as you look on those things, that the one who created them must be bigger and more glorious and more powerful than all of them. And what John is saying, what Jesus is saying to us, is that when you look at him, when you look at the person of Jesus, it's not that you just get a vague mirror reflection of who, who God is. You are seeing the exact image of God's nature and character and person. He's, his, the revelation of Jesus, of the Father, is greater than all of creation. That's an awesome thing to say. And you know what? I cannot prove it to you through rational argument. All I can say to you is read about Jesus. Open up the Gospel of John and read it for yourself. And you will come face to face with the person of God in Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing to say. And there's a wonderful old song that, that, that puts it this way. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. All other religions offer you an argument, but Jesus offers you a person. So Jesus is the way. He's the one who carries us home. Jesus is the truth. He's the one that reveals the reality of the Father to us. Looking at Jesus is like looking at God. But Jesus is also the life. Again, we're left to ask the question, well, what does he mean by life? And it's again, looking at the context of the Gospel of John, that we can see what life is. I mean, look down, if you've got your Bibles open, it should be on the screen as well, at John 14, verse 19. Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. He's saying that for the person that trusts in him, their life is bound up in his life. They have the same life force that he has. Okay, if Jesus lives forever, they will live forever. But actually, John, the Gospel of John tells us it's more than that. So if you jump ahead a couple of chapters to chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus gives us a definition of eternal life. And he says this, now this is eternal life, in verse 2, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That they know the only true God. So eternal life, according to Jesus, isn't just about how long you live. It's about knowing God personally and intimately. It's about being in relationship with the creator of the universe. It's not just, not just about knowing about him. It's about knowing him through Jesus. Or as a famous evangelist once put it, it's not about the, the quantity of your life, it's about the quality of your life. And just look down, if you've got that passage up in John 17, look at what else he says in verses 22 and 23. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Jesus says some astounding things in those couple of sentences. He says he's given them the glory that God gave him. The life that God has in store for Jesus, Jesus has given that to those who trust him. The glory that belongs to him, he's given it to those who trust him. 
the glorious life of Jesus. And then he also says that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. He's saying that somehow the life that Jesus has, the glorious life that Jesus has in the Father, he is handing out to all who will trust him. That they will be united with him and the Father in the same way that the Father, Son, and Spirit are united. He's talking about life that you and I just can't get our heads around. Let's just pause for a moment to breathe and to take this in. There are many different kinds of life, aren't there? So, for example, there's a blade of grass and there's the soaring eagle. Okay, now, now the blade of grass, by any definition, is alive. It meets all the five criteria of life, doesn't it? Okay, um, but it can't think, it can't feel, it, it can't really do anything. Can a blade of grass apart from grow? But then the eagle comes along, and the eagle can soar through the air. It can feel the wind blowing in its feathers. It can, it can soar through the sky across the tops of mountains. Now, what would you rather be, a blade of grass or an eagle? I hope you're thinking eagle, because that's a much better thing to be. But you know what? An eagle, as, as glorious and a wonderful piece of creation as an eagle, it will never understand the beauty that it soars through. It will never feel the exhilaration that you and I could feel if we were soaring through the air. It will never read a sonnet. It will never fall in love. It will never be able to put into words and to write them down, to share them with others so that other people can experience that as well. It won't be able to philosophize or worry or dream or any of those things. Why? Because an eagle's life, as glorious as it is, is nothing compared to your life if you're breathing today. What would you rather be, an eagle or you? If you're not saying you, you don't understand how wonderful you are. The life that you have is so much higher than that than the blade of grass. But the life that Jesus is offering to you and to me here is so much further beyond what we can imagine. Because his life is so much greater, so much more glorious And this is the life that he's offering to people who will trust in him, who will believe in him. When he says, I am the life, he's saying, I am the one who has existed with the Father forever. I am the one who's who's been in a perfect relationship in with the Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. We've always loved one another, always supported one another, always cared for one another. We've danced in joy for all of time. And you can come and join in with that beauty. Now, you probably, like me, are are, are kind of lost in, in wonder and awe, but at the same time a little bit confused. Because this is so far beyond what you and I can get our heads around. It's almost like trying to explain a love sonnet to a blade of grass. That's the difference between you and I and the life that he is offering to us. And it's not just that this life that I'm describing comes when you die. Although in one sense it does, and it goes on forever, and we could understand it in a very different way then. But actually the Bible says it's about knowing God now. It's about starting that experience in life today and growing in that depth of knowledge of God every single day. It's about growing in that life. The Christian life is about growing more in that and experiencing more of that joy every moment. And then one day, praise the Lord, For those of us who trust him, we will be experiencing that wonderful joy of life for eternity. It's a wonderful life that Jesus offers. And literally, he says in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and that you may have life in all fullness. 
That doesn't just mean, that doesn't mean not having a mortgage. That means experiencing the presence, the reality of God now in life. Now, um, maybe you're thinking um, on Monday morning, as, as I normally feel, sure there's more to life than this. You know, as you get up and go to work again, or you change that next nappy, or whatever it might be, that normal humdrum of life. If you've ever gone, there must be more to life than this, you are right. You're not made to just exist. You are made to experience the presence and the reality of God in your life. That's why you were created. And if you don't know Jesus or the Father in that way, you haven't really experienced life. And that's something that's different between Christianity and every other religion. It's one thing that's fundamentally different. See, other religions offer life in heaven, maybe forever, or something euphorial. But none of the founders ever stuck around to make sure it happened. Whereas Jesus went to the cross and died, and then he was so full of life that he broke out of the grave to give life to all who will trust in him. And he guarantees it because he is alive. Because Jesus lives, you too will live. So Jesus is the way. He carries us home. Jesus is the truth that when we look at him, we see the Father. Jesus is the life, that experience of real life that you and I can only imagine. It's found in Jesus. So the truth is with all these things, Christians cannot just pretend that Jesus is a way to heaven. I mean, Jesus doesn't give us that option, does he? Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus never speaks in a way that you can just decide that, that he might be true, he might, that you can take him or leave him. Jesus always ever speaks in absolutes, in truth claims. You can't just sit on the fence with Jesus. He is either, as a very wise man once said, telling us a lie and he knows it, or he's insane and he believes it but it's not true, or he is telling us the truth and he is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other option. Christians cannot not take this seriously. Literally, heaven or hell are in the balance. If we love people, we will show them Jesus. Jesus is the way. Only he can carry us home. Other false religions um, will pour major burdens on your back. Only Jesus will carry it for you at the cross. You know, while many professing Christians may become seem quite arrogant, and many are, I have no doubt, a true believer should never be. We should never look down on people who disagree with us or think other ways to us, because Jesus tells us to love those people who disagree with us, love our enemies, and pray for those who hurt us. Jesus himself went to a cross and died for his enemies. So how should we live in a pluralistic society as Christians? Well, we should love our neighbors as ourselves. We should lay down our lives for them, regardless of whether they agree with us or not. We should sacrifice for them. So Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. All religions will tell you about God. Only Jesus will reveal to you the fullness of who he is. And like I said earlier on, Jesus is not an argument. He's a person. You know, so the best way, if you want to explore the person of Jesus for yourself, is not to to, to listen to to, to an apologetics argument, which I could give you because I do enjoy those kind of things, but it's to pick up a gospel of John or any other gospel 
And it's to read it for yourself. Will you read it? Will you pick up the Bible and, and seek and to explore Jesus for yourself? And Christian friends, it's not so much about learning clever arguments, sharing your faith. It's simply about pointing people to Jesus. Showing people who he is, who the Bible claims him to be, and just letting Jesus do the work. And Jesus is the life. Only in Jesus can you find the full and life, full life. Other religions offer you an afterlife, but only one founder came back to prove it. Jesus is the one who is life, who enjoys the fullness of life in the Godhead for eternity past, and he's offering for you to enjoy it with him forever. And he proved it by rising from the dead on the third day. So the only question is, will you believe him today? Jesus is offering you a way, the way. He's offering you the truth, and he's offering you the life. Come to him. You will never be disappointed. Let me pray. Father God, we do thank you for the wonder of the person of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we just confess before you now in light of that that we are not. We are not the way, the truth, or the life. We do not have any legs to stand on in ourselves. All we can come to you with is empty hands, asking for you to show us the way that you would carry us home in your son. Lord, I do pray for everybody here today, especially those maybe who have not yet given their lives to you. They, Father, would turn to Jesus. They would see him as the way, the truth, and the life, and they would experience that higher, glorious life that we've just been glimpsing at in the person of Christ. Lord, would you be working in our hearts and making us more into the image of, of your Son every day? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And our final song picks up on the exclusivity of Jesus because it starts with the words, in Christ alone. And then it goes on to explain what we can find in Christ alone. Let's stand to sing.